0: The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org.
1: Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows.
0: They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansberry, your host. Today we're in for a treat. We have a special guest that's been on before. He did an outstanding job, and I've been wanting him back for quite some time, and We finally have. And so he's a very busy man. We're going to talk about our friend. But before we do, please rate and review our show, The Energy Fellows. Go to the show notes and tell us what we're doing as far as good. We'd like to hear about that. But also anything you have as far as any suggestions, please provide those as well. We want to thank our sponsor. Thank OGGN, the family as well, for all they do for us. We appreciate all their efforts and uh, thank them for all. Done through this past year. And I wanted to mention about my book or the actually monograph. It's America Needs, America's Energy, and its Natural Resources. And you can get that on Barnes and Noble as well as Amazon. It's an ebook format. We started writing or I wrote a book called The American Needs, America's Energy, Creating Together the People's Energy Plan back in 2012. And this is a supplement to that, a monograph. And you'd also get the original book online as well, from Barnes & Noble or Amazon. A big thank you to those that have watched our documentary, Short Force, Top Secret. Re- good reviews from that, and I uh, hope you'll tune into that. Our column, or my column, in uh, Oilman Magazine, you can find each time there's an issue. A upcoming issue of September, October is coming out very soon. And I uh, hope you go ahead and tune into that as well, because you can also go online. And get uh, information that way as well. And Oilman, Energy's Magazine, and Oilman Magazine are all part of the publisher or publishing company. The publisher is Emmanuel Sullivan. So please reach out to Emmanuel. Tell him thank you for all he does as well. Well, I was going to tell you again, we're in for a treat because I have a good friend of mine and a fellow podcaster, Stu Turley. Stuart Turley, thank you for being on the Energy Fellows podcast.
0: Hey, well, thank you, Mark. I got to give a shout out to you for everything that you've got going on. Your books are phenomenal, and I've enjoyed reading your books. I want to give you a shout out because those are timeless. Everything you wrote is applicable today, and that's a sign of a good book.
2: Well, that means a lot coming from you, Stu. And I know you're very direct, so you go either way on that. So I appreciate you on this side of the coin instead. (laughs) There you go. I appreciate you very much. And we've introduced you before. But there are those that are going to hear you for the, maybe the first time, or those that listen to your show and so forth. But if you would give a little background about yourself and also what you're working on primarily about your company and about your podcast. And instead of me reading a bio, they want to hear from you, Stu.
0: Okay. I don't like being a podcast host. This is weird, <laughs> Mark. I don't like talking about myself. I feel like I need to be
2: interviewing you. <laughs> well, no, I'm so excited to have you on. So you're always great. And you have great fans. My wife and I are both fans of yours. And when I mentioned Stu Turley back on, she was really excited about it. So it's wonderful.
0: Well, thank you. Tell her I said hi. And I'll tell you, I've got a great partner in Michael Tanner. He is a young millennial, and he and I have been working together for three years. And it has been a phenomenal ride with him on Sandstone. And we did podcasts I mean, it's been a nutty, nutty thing. Our daily show is hitting it out of the park. We're getting between 20 and 60,000 hits on our website a day. And of that, a significant chunk is either reading the transcripts on the news on these pages. So the impressions on our podcast, because, Mark, we put it out on our website, all major podcast channels, Hmm. YouTube, Rumble, socials and that has made a difference we're now in 102 countries oh, goodness. and mark i'll tell you it's so much fun i get to talk to people from around the world i just talked to a young lady who is probably the most knowledgeable i've ever heard on fishery whales and wind farms and i mean it is frightening that podcast is just crazy I got to interview Dr. Patrick Moore for the second time, and he wants to come back. I've even had people like George Friedman for geopolitical things. I've had even Patrick Moore, who is the founder of Greenpeace. And all these just absolutely wonderful guests. It's really hard to explain. I enjoy talking to my guests about geopolitical, mm-hmm. renewable, wind, solar, nuclear. I've had Meredith Engwin, who wrote the book, Shorting the Grid. And I learned more about the grid, Mark, than should be humanly allowed. And it's not just about oil and gas. Mm -hmm. So then at Sandstone, we have 10 podcasts that we produce very much like Mark LaCour over at OGGN. And I love Mark. I mean, I think the OGGN network, which you're part of, Mm -hmm. is one of the best platforms out there. And wait a minute, don't tell Mark I said, uh, you know, all these
2: Well, he'll be hearing. He likes to listen to your podcast and this one Uh-oh. in particular. So you're going to be shown here very soon. That's right.
0: Uh-oh, rut row, as <laughs> Scooby would say. And then where we really shine, uh, this sounds kind of corny, but the reason I went for that aspect, Mark, is thought leadership, like what you do matters, Mm -hmm. And you do the podcast, it goes out to the website, it goes to all the channels, it makes a difference. And the feedback I'm getting is worth it. Now, from a business perspective, you start rolling that in and we've cross, I don't want to say crossbred, but it really is the machine we built, I can drop it onto oil and gas. We've helped raise millions and millions of dollars for oil and gas drilling. Mm -hmm. We can turn around and we've dropped that same system on home health. We've dropped that same system on doctors. And it's just a truly amazing thing. And I can't do it without my team behind me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I got a great team in order to do all this. I can't get everything done. Mm -hmm. So podcasting, like very much, Mark, like the OGGN model works. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize you can own your own industry through thought leadership.
2: Mm -hmm. So important. No question about it. And I appreciate what you're doing in providing that thought leadership and the 10 podcast and all you do. And you're very busy when it comes to, I think you're an early bird, if I remember right. You get up early and because you keep up with the news and keep up with what's going on and you tell us about it. So that's why I stay in bed for a while longer, and I listen to Stu. <laughs> oh, no. I, I,
0: Mark, I ain't, I ain't buying that. I'm going to call you on that. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, it's true, though.
0: Now, when you sit back and kind of go, I spend probably in the morning, three hours before work, reading stories, getting the website tuned, getting the articles written for my clients, doing all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so then throughout the day, I'll either visit with investors throughout the different markets, or I'll visit with folks all around the world. Mm -hmm. And trying to visit with, I'm now trying to interview several African leaders about the child abuse in getting cobalt and gold and all of these other things. So very much like visiting with about the whale problem and the marine problem with the offshore wind, I try to talk about all forms of energy, but it starts, like you said, at Odart 30. That's right.
2: That's exactly right. And that's really a good lesson for those that are listening, whether they're students or on up the chain of years, because you know, these habits that goes into management, you've got these habits that are really good habits to have, and it pays off. I mean, here you are very busy in your own profession, along with podcast. And that's a profession as well. But you tie them together, and you have to stay balanced and have a great approach. And if you will, let's talk about management. You mentioned the first three hours of your day, but it's pretty involved. I mean, beyond that, and also those three hours to keep everything moving, to have people scheduled to speak, having scheduled meetings. And I know this day and time, you know, back 40 years ago, when I first got started, 46 years ago, we didn't have Zoom. <laughs> we had maybe, well, didn't even have a fax machine. We wound up getting one. So we've advanced so much. If you will, give us some guidance, including I'd like to take some notes myself on this. Well, I'll tell
0: you what is, it's an old habit that you start with, write everything down. And I threw away my pen years ago and I'm using like OneNote. It's available on all eight of my laptops and Linux machines and write it all down so you can reference it. Have doctor documentation is what people call me because I like being able to refer things because, Mark, I am old enough that I'm feeble. (laughs) When you sit back and take a look, it's attitude, Mark. It's all about attitude. And years ago, when the kids were growing up, I got my black belt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm a little bit competitive. I would say so. <laughs> so when you take about competitiveness and you take that in having fun, I was talking to my employees about I get to be on the, the Energy Fellows here and talking to Mark again. Oh, really and nice. like, oh, cool. I said, guys, what do you like working at Sandstone? And they said, we are a part of the team We have fun every day and we work and we want the company to succeed. Mm -hmm. All right. You're just talking about the dream employees. How do you get there, Mark? Right. Right. And we start out every morning with, I try to keep every meeting less than 30 minutes in a every morning meeting. I try to do 15. It's respect. It is when I know what kind of thing I want done to a website, or I know what vision I want for the client or the messaging. I'm not going to tell them,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Mark. I go out and I kind of say, "Hey guys, this is the end goal. Can you guys tell me how you would get there?" Right. And sure enough, that afternoon they come up and Mark they come back with things that are even better. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I give my employees so much. Freedom and autonomy to make decisions that they're invested in the decisions. And people that are invested in the decisions will run harder. Mm-hmm. And I mean, our staff, and I've had several other employees that I've had to let go. They didn't fit into the mold of having fun, they wanted everything spoon fed to them. And, Mark, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Why did we win World War II? There were several reasons, but off the top of your head, why did the U.S. do so good in World War II?
2: Team effort, no question. They all came together. And your movie
0: actually covered part of that with us helping the U.K. And in the Sherwood Forest, teaching them how to drill for oil. Right. right? That's exactly right which I don't want to give you a shameless plug, but that's a heck of a show.
2: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. It's a leading question. I like the answer.
0: (laughs) Here's the thing. It's also the technology and the manufacturing, but the most important thing that won the war was the ability of the U.S. GI to think independently in the field under fire.
2: Mm -hmm. Very good point. And
0: the generals... Would say, go take that hill. And I love that story of General Patton when he was a student at West Point. Mm-hmm. And he was in there and he sat back, and one of his tests was you have three hours to write a plan to take Hill 452 or whatever the number was. Mm-hmm. He was done in one minute. Mm-hmm. And he sat there with his pen down for the rest of the three hours. And all the other guys were saying, I'm going to get five guys over here. We're going to have it meet together and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And it's going to be, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the teacher came over and pulled General Patton's notepad. He said, how come you are done so quick? And he said, my plan is Sergeant take that hill.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now I have taken that to heart and I go to my employees and I say, John, take that hill. And I really have benefited. I've been the beneficiary of learning from my employees through my whole career. Mm
2: -hmm. No question about it. Not only management, but adapting is a big part of that, uh, as you're talking about. And adapting is something that in World War II, they had to adapt. And it's not that easy to do for some folks, but it's something that becomes a way of life, right? I mean, you're adapting every day of your life, sounds like. Oh, absolutely, Mark. And as a small business owner,
0: I have to adapt and change and roll with the fly on the fly. Mm -hmm. And Mark, let's take oilprice.com and let's take worldoil.com. Please. Years ago, I told one of my previous folks that you got to lose the name oil on your main focus. Mm -hmm. It is about oil, gas, the grid. It's about energy. It's about elevating humanity mm-hmm. out of poverty. It's geopolitical. It is about everything that I've got going on. And now you see oilprice.com and you see world oil, some of the greatest websites out there. Mm-hmm. And now they're pumping renewable. Oh, Now they're pumping stories on mining and no, oh, they're now starting to do this, right. but their brand is oil.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. oops so you can start running things that way but mark your brand my brand is energy Newsbeat by sandstone right and i mean i can talk about anything geopolitical because energy is where it's at
2: you're exactly right i like what you're saying because the adapting part the management part but now we're going through the transition And in order to get through this energy transition, it is exactly that. It doesn't mean just natural gas by itself or oil or wind or solar. It's going to take all of it. And it's a transition to the future. And I wonder what it's going to look like 50, 60 years from now. But it starts right today, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And the energy
0: transition is really, really important. I believe that we do need to get to wind, solar, nuclear, hydrogen, all of these different technologies. We need electric cars. We need to go all this way. But let me throw this caveat at you. Caveat is, I believe that we should provide the lowest kilowatt per hour to every citizen of the world with the least amount of impact on the environment Mm -hmm. and being able to be sustained through environmentally sustained processes, not printing money and fiscally responsible.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. If you can meet that structure in any energy form, you got sustainable energy. Right. And what I'm seeing right now, the technology in the wind farms are not there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The wind farms are important. Going to wind is important, but the facts around people saying that they last 30 years Mm -hmm. is not there. Mm -hmm. That, Mark, carbon neutral on a wind farm after you make the steel, getting them there with all the earth movers for every pound or whatever it is of, for lithium, it's a ton. I mean, whatever the number it is. I got to go fact check myself, Mark. Mm-hmm. I did go to OSU. So. <laughs> it's 10 years before a wind turbine can become carbon net zero. Mm-hmm. So if it lasts 30 years, it makes sense. Oh, you got 20 years of carbon net zero power, right? Right. right. Okay. Here's what is out there now. My crayon math, and it is a crayon because I'm trying to validate everything that I've got, is eight years. Mm -hmm. A wind tower and wind farm are fiscally unsustainable at eight years when you take a look at maintenance, cost of energy... Cost of going to the grid, and it's less than that if you take away the printing of money and the ruination it has done. Is ruination a word, Mark? It is from Mark and Stu. (laughs) (laughs) Mark and Stu's book. here we go. And now there's talking about uh, global stagnation going on Mm. in a recession. And it's because the world has spent trillions of dollars going to renewable, and we've only added 2% mm-hmm. to the energy mix
2: yes. for renewables. Good
0: point. And here's another one. Do you remember the blackout? I believe it was 2003 or 2008 in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was brutal. Billions of dollars was lost in business and problems. The difference between it and ERCOT, the one that happened where people died in the winter 20 mm-hmm. percent of ERCOT, I believe at that time was renewable energy right. on ERCOt
2: that's right
0: How much was on the grid back then in
2: 2008? 0.5 percent so it's very low yes
0: yeah 0.5 percent and it still broke now the grid is highly 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 unstable. And from an energy security standpoint, we're kind of hanging out there on the backside. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a pretty picture as far as security goes. And if the grid goes down or an EMP hits, we're years away from getting it fixed, Mark, because the supply chain. I'm sure you've talked to other industry leaders No
2: question. About that. No question. Come to reliability, you have to have accessibility, and you have to have infrastructure. And that has to be dependable. And that's what you're talking about. And you can't look just, this. Yeah, we've got, like you say, wind 10 years from now. It's something we need today. And you hit it also from the standpoint of looking at the low prices that you can possibly get for the world. Because, you know, it's one thing to talk about America, but also the globe where you have a lot of folks, even the United States, aren't able to have proper refrigeration and lighting and things like that. And you get down to the facts of three point five billion or so people don't have the luxuries of energy like we have when it comes to electricity and
0: oh you noise. bet Mark, let me throw this at you. This week, New York, you gotta love New York. It's the gift that keeps on going for <laughs> nutocracy in California, Germany, and New York. New York is facing a forty-seven percent. Increase in electricity to New York consumers. My goodness. Kathy Ogles came out and said that they're killing their nuclear, their last coal fire plants. They're trying to cut out coal, I mean, gas. Here's what gets me worked up mm-hmm. Russia sanctions don't work. I'm going to go about this in a roundabout way, Mark. Right. Sanctions don't work. Russia has done just fine. The weaponization by the current Biden administration has forced the world away from the US dollar, the US petrodollar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ricks is now going to be in charge of, in January of 2024, Mark, 80 to 90% of the world's oil production. They're going away from the U.S. dollar, and it's because of primarily the Biden administration is going to devastate the U.S. economy because who wants to buy U.S. treasuries and the U.S. debt when we're going to get sanctioning people and stuff? Right. It's not going to happen. Now, let me roll back through on this. New York, Kathy Hochul says everybody gets to pay for the extra so we can go to renewable, all wind, all solar. And they are buying, I believe it's 70% of the jet fuel on the East Coast is, Mark, take a guess, Russian. Mm. It is coming in from Spain and it is Russia or it is Russian oil that is to, I believe it's either Iran or another one, Qatar, Mm -hmm. gone through their refinery and it goes to the East Coast. So all of the energy hypocrisy that's going on right now, people strap themselves in an airplane and they go running right along on Russian gas. Mm -hmm. Upstate New York is now killing pipelines and they've got the Marcellus and all of the gas that they could possibly burn, low-cost natural gas. And the EIA came out and said the only reason the U.S. lowered its carbon footprint was because of natural gas. Right. They are not going to allow a pipeline in. And why is it that the world is using more coal, Mark?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's because they've killed nuclear.
1: Mm-hmm. You can
0: watch Good point. coal going up before the pandemic. There were 8,000 permits for renewables waiting to go through permitting process. Mm-hmm. Mark, there are now 24,000 renewable projects trying to go through permitting. Exactly. So we need energy of all types, but we need sustainable energy. Sustainable. How did
2: I do with driving your head nutty? Well, I love what you're saying. Everything you're saying is, it's challenging us, and that's what we need, Stu. We need challenge to look at it in a true picture, not just make-believe in a sense, because we're here today, and there future generations are depending on you and me and others To make sure we have this pathway or pathways established in a roadmap. And we're just going all over the page when it comes to roadmap, marking here and marking there, and not looking at what's needed. And when you don't allow those to build the infrastructure, you're only hurting your own people, and whether it's a state or a country. And you've got to adopt policies and plans. And that's what you're talking about as well. And talking about policies, there's some updates. I know we're going to be limited on time here in a few minutes because of the time that we have as far as the episode. But ESG, and I'll have to have you back, by the way, Stu. I mean, you got to come back more than a year ago. we got to make sure you come back more than a year later. I love talking to you anytime, Mark. Well, thank you, because I do you as well, and I need to catch up with you. ESG, Environmental Social Governance, something we both have followed quite a bit, and I've mentioned it quite a bit on my show. Tell us where we are today and what vision you see Far as ESG goes. Well, Mark, we have another two hours. I'm so glad. (laughs) Let me just say
0: there's a little bit of hypocrisy in ESG funding. And BlackRock, let's start at BlackRock. They lost $1.7 trillion last year in the first half of last year because of their investing policies in renewable energy that is not sustainable. So they were following all the ESG funds and everything else. So BlackRock. This past week, Larry Fink put out and said, we are not approving 94% of the ESG funds that are brought forward to us in their projects. Interesting. It's because they are now having to be beholden of survival Mm -hmm. and trying to go through that. Let's take a look at our great American oil and gas companies they did not, Exxon and the other ones, did not go full all in on ESG. I'm going to caveat this here in a sec. Occidental did, but they did it through a business model supporting it through carbon capture. So they did, but they still kept up their EMP operations and everything else. Mm -hmm. So in Europe, their ESG strategy was and Mark, I'm again, OSU kind of guy, right. Total Energy, or is it Total Energy? Or <laughs> they decided they were getting out of oil and gas altogether. They started doing all these renewable projects. They lost billions. Siemens, one of the biggest wind manufacturers, lost billions. So they all now have come back around and Shell has said, oh, we're now investing in oil and gas EMP. Mm-hmm. Most of it is going into Africa. And then we are stealing African resources and not giving back to Africa. Mm-hmm. That is a whole nother subject. right? But what we're seeing is the ESG hypocrisy in that investors are due back their money. Mm -hmm. and they have a right to money, and the U.S. great oil companies have been giving money back and increasing CapEx, my hat is off to all oil and gas companies, even private, big, small. ESG investing and the ESG hypocrisy is coming around the corner, and people are waking up to you have a right to drill for oil. You have a right to do oil and gas. You have a right to do wind farm. You have a right to do energy. But let's be like Alex Epstein. Let's be like the ones and taking care of people. We were mentioning Africa. We're forcing kids into slave labor in order to get cobalt. I'm looking forward to visiting with some of the African folks, African leaders in Africa about this. I'm trying to shore those up. Mm-hmm. But let's be humanitarians to all people of the world first. Mm-hmm. I think without that, ESG is just talk. Right, right.
2: Excellent points you've made today on the Energy Fellows. And man, we always run out of time. We've got so many things we could cover. And I really appreciate you taking this time, Stu. And those who want to get in touch with you, how's the best way or at least to tune in? You mentioned it earlier, but mentioned the podcast how to tune into your podcast as well as your company.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Mark. And everything's available on energynewsbeat.com. And you can find my podcasts up at the upper left-hand corner or right in the center of the page. And then also on LinkedIn, Stuart Turley on LinkedIn. And I answer all emails, all requests, and love talking to people about any kind of energy or humanity.
2: You're wonderful to get in touch with, and so those who try to reach out, he's the best. He's wonderful about making sure the audience is plugged in, and those that have any questions are always counted on as far as him getting back with you. Really appreciate that. I would like to end on this though. Again, there are those that are challenged of which way to go when it comes. To, of course, we talked about all forms of energy, but on a personal level, many folks out there are, are struggling and going, "What do I do? do? I stay in the energy business, or do I get in the energy business, or?" What options we have? And, you know, when you're plotting your future, it's pretty tough sometimes. But do you have any tips that you can provide or a tip or two as we close out?
0: I'll tell you what. We have such a great, great oil and gas EMP companies that are out there. And, Mark, I believe in ESG. I believe in the environment. And you know what's great coming around the corner? Geothermal. And everything you do in geothermal, the oil and gas EMP operators and oil field service, they got the same skill sets. So Mm -hmm. if you want to make money, you want to make a good career, oil and gas and geothermal is going to be around a long time.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great point. I'm glad you're saying that because the workforce development and talent retention and all that can still stay in place by all means. If we can just take the talent we have and definitely put them in the right spots, people have a great opportunity for a great future and keep the energy flowing as we say. So thank you. Well, Mark, thank you for having me on, but how do people get a hold of you? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I have, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that as well. Well, the com, And if you go to the com, you can get in touch with me that way, as well as it gives you a roadmap of how to get in touch with me otherwise. And, other things I've been working on as far as projects and my interest that I have in film and energy and so forth. So thank you, Stu, for saying that. You know, the future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. And thank you, Stu, for being on the Energy Fellows podcast. Welcome the audience back anytime each week when we talk about energy and the future of energy. And tune in to Stu Turley with his shows as well. Thank you, Stu. Oh, hey, Mark. Thank you so much. I just appreciate you. Appreciate you, too. We'll be in touch soon. Join us again next
1: week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.